Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. I'm your host, Elaine Miller-Karis, and welcome to my show, Resiliency Within, Building Resiliency During Unprecedented Times, brought to you by Voice of America, the largest radio internet network in the world. As we get started today, this is my second show, by the way, um, so I'm very excited to be here and very excited to um, share with you the ideas of my guest, Jen Householder, today. But today is Martin Luther King Day, and I've been drawn to his words today that were spoken long ago and so relevant to today's world. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. So when we start today, um, if we're going to sow love in the world of ours, we need to be aware of when we're showing up as our best selves. And today's show is entitled Despair to Holistic Resiliency. Many of you have been driven to moments of despair over the pandemic, the insurgency, and the windstorms of life. And I believe um, we must work to not only build resiliency, but also community resiliency. I mean, individual resiliency and community resiliency. But before I introduce today's guest, I want to share with our listeners some difficult facts about the diseases of despair. Many individuals around the world are experiencing despair and losing hope. This impacts how we walk through the world. Jen's story inspired me when she first shared her story many years ago. It is a poignant, heartfelt story that certainly led her from despair to amazing holistic resilience, and you'll hear that as she starts to speak. It was reported um, by the British Medical Journal in November 2020 that before COVID-19 derailed many of our lives, the U.S. has been facing another public health crisis, and they call it diseases of despair, which increased by 68% between 2009 and 2018. And what are exactly our diseases of despair? They are those related to substance abuse, alcohol dependency, suicidal thoughts, and behaviors. Um, the Washington Post reported when I was doing some, uh, I had my, one of my staff members do um, some research for me about, well, what is the incidence right now of um, suicide? And apparently we don't know. So the, the, Washington, the Washington Post said, American's system for monitoring suicide is so broken and slow that experts won't know until roughly two years after the pandemic whether suicides have risen nationally. There are other countries that have been monitoring the increase and there has been an increase. So in September 2020, the Pan American Health Organization warned that the COVID-19 pandemic may exacerbate suicide risk factors, urging people to speak about the issue in an open and responsible manner, which I hope we're going to be doing today, and remain connected even during physical distancing and learn to identify warning signs to prevent it. So before we start with the formal part of our presentation with Jen, I want to say to any listener who's sitting there thinking about life is getting too tough and I don't know if I want to live anymore and possibly think of ending, ending their life, that there is help available. You can call or chat with the National Suicide Prevention Line. It's open 24 hours a day. It's in English and in Spanish. 
and the number is 800-273-8255. I'll repeat that again, 800-273-8255. And remember, you are not alone and help is available and we hope Jen's story will inspire you. And so now I want to introduce you to Jen, who I am so grateful to call not only a colleague, but a friend. And I also call her a Renaissance woman. And when she sent me her bio, she left off that she is actually a very good musician. So I'm just going to say that out in front. (laughs) So, but she's many things. She is an engineer. She's a Lieutenant Colonel in the Army Reserve. She is a Black Hawk helicopter pilot, the first one I've ever known. Um, And she is a veteran of the Iraq Wars and a certified resiliency trainer trained by the Air Force, the Army, and the Trauma Resource Institute, which happens to be the institute that I co-founded and where I first encountered Jen. And Jen's journey, which you will soon hear, fits perfectly in my definition of resiliency, which is the capacity to lean lean into our strengths with compassion during the most challenging of times and to remember what else is true about our lived experience. So, Jen, welcome. Thank you. Um, Please start anywhere you'd like to. I mean, there may be something in the present moment that comes up to you. We've prepared lots, lots of questions together. So why don't you go ahead and start with what's on your mind, and then we'll, I'll ask you some questions to boot. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, you've been a, a dear friend to me over the years and um, a source of encouragement and affirmation. So um, it is a joy to be here today. And um, I'm a different woman than I was uh, 11 years ago, 12 years ago on my last deployment. And we'll unpack that a little bit later, my story. But uh, there's something to this resilience. It's, uh, you're not stuck with what you, you started with. Um, you can grow it, and it is holistic. And we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, what it means to me, what resilience means to me is, um, you know, you don't know when the storm's coming. You don't know how bad it's going to be or how long it's going to stick around. But there are things that we can be doing now, whether we're in the storm or, you know, we're uh, you know, on the mountaintop. Uh, there are things that we can do to strengthen ourselves. Um, you know, it's, it's not about being able to be impenetrable. You know, we're going to get hurt. But how do we move through without being crushed? How do we, um, you know, angle and posture ourselves to, to, to move through that adversity? And uh, so there's tremendous hope and there's uh, tremendous reason for us to be talking about this. I talked about this with my soldiers uh, a week and a half ago at, uh, at Drill, the importance of resilience. And Jen, when I heard the word crushed, because I think when I first met you, that was one of the things that you shared with me, yeah. that life was crashing in on you, mm-hmm. and you were able to go on a different pathway than one you were thinking um, of. But so what helped you get through that difficult time? And can you share a little bit with us sure. um, this poignant journey that you were on? So um, I had a little bit of a rocky start in life. Uh, I, um, I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, occurred between the ages of three and five. So in addition to the, the trauma piece to that, there was all of the impacts of, of all, that, all the things that you learn as a child, healthy attachment, um, what's safe, boundaries, all that was kind of uh, interrupted. Um, so growing up with that and then... Um, you know, fast forward uh, to 
being an adult, I'm in my second deployment. And, you know, it's not one of those things that trauma is not one of those things that you could just mind over matter. You can't just decide that it's not going to bother you. You can't just uh, will it away. And there's reasons. And there was, that was one of the things that I think I learned from you because you said, well, I was just going to get through it. I mean, like I'm boots on the ground. I can, I've done so many hard things. And so I'm just going to work to move through this, but you didn't have the answers then. No, I didn't have the answer. And I know that you tried very hard. And I think from what you've shared with me, that's what brought you to this kind of desperation. Yeah. So there I am 2009 uh, in, in my second deployment and uh, just frustrated um, I could, I, I would get through one painful moment where something would trigger and I may not know what that was. Often I didn't know. I just knew I'm on this wild emotional and physiological roller coaster. I didn't understand what was happening. I just knew I had to ride it out. And um, then once it, it, it ended, I'm, I'm just exhausted. And then I know something's going to happen the next day. I can't control it, and I'm going to be right back on that roller coaster. And nobody could explain to me why I was reliving my childhood trauma, how to heal from it. I couldn't change the narrative in my head. So I had all these awful thoughts bouncing around in my head like, Jen, mm-hmm. you, you're a bad person. You're not lovable. Uh, your only option you have is, is to take your life. I mean, those were the thoughts going on in my head. And. Yeah. I remember that back back then you told me that you had even created a plan and yes, you so really I, were serious about this. I had written a suicide note. I had a plan. I knew where I was going to go, how I was going to carry it out, and um, you know that's of all the things that I share about myself, that's probably the hardest thing to share yeah. that I was willing to. Um, or I was at that point where I, I was going to uh, take my life and, and end it. But I I was tired of being in the pain. I was tired of being out of control and not being able to, to stop it. So I think that one of the things, and thank you so much for sharing this, because I know it's not an easy story. Um, we, I want to start integrating into the show some of the vocabulary yes. that you and I both believe in. We did a little bit of this last week with Brian Robinson, but we talk about this being in the high and the low zone. Is the high right. zone is those physiological responses where your heart is beating fast, you're upset, um, or maybe you're even doing certain things like, flying a helicopter where we call it adrenaline seeking behavior because you feel alive, but you can only be up there for so long before you dive into what we call the low zone. And that's those periods of disconnection. And I don't want to do anything. And sometimes that's when we're really feeling those feelings of, I don't want to live anymore. I'm done. And sometimes it even takes a little bit more energy to get to the point of writing the plan, but that you go between the high and the low zone and that you never really feel what we call the resilient zone of the zone of well-being. In fact, you said something to me once. You said, Aline, I don't think I ever had a resilient zone. I think I just went between high and low. Can you tell me, tell us a little bit about that? Because I think there may be listeners that have had the same experience. Well, and you know, the the interesting thing about that. So, yes, I, I started pendulating between those two extremes. I became aware of that. I don't think I've shared this with you. I actually became aware of that when I was uh, right out of college. I had this this notion. I just I didn't want to be bouncing between extremes. I couldn't really articulate it. It wasn't the language that we have today to to articulate it. Um, but as I got older, and the the trauma had not been, we hadn't dealt with the biology of trauma. You know, we were trying to deal with the the cognitive piece, but uh, the psycho- psychological part. But we hadn't dealt with the the biology of trauma. And so that, though, that pendulation between those two extremes was getting worse, meaning I, it, the, the, 
the heights and the depth, the, it was deeper in those two extreme places, and they were happening more frequently. Yeah. So, so there was, so there might have been at some point in my life where I had a little bit of a resilience zone, but towards the end there, it was, it was. Uh, so you're obviously here with us. So yes. what happened? How did you stop this cycle that you had been living with for a while? How, how did it end? So one key thing that I want to talk about first before I get into the breakthrough, because I didn't have the breakthrough, right? So there I am in 2009. I'm thinking about taking my life. I didn't have the breakthrough. I didn't have the knowledge, the skills that I learned from the Trauma Resource Institute um, yet. But what what was I leveraging? And this is kind of ties back into you talked about uh, Dr. King. Yeah. And uh, in, in the book that I'm writing. Um, he's one of the people I talk about in terms of embodying what it means to be resilient. And what I found myself leveraging towards that, that very um, tenuous time, that dark time was, you know, my, I was mentally exhausted, physically exhausted, socially didn't have necessarily all the networks that I had back home because I'm deployed. But I was leveraging what would comprise my spiritual resilience, which is uh, – that sense of purpose and those core values. And I kept tripping over that. Yeah. And interestingly, that was what anchored me until I got home. But if you're not, if you're not strengthening and building that, what gives you that sense of purpose and what gives you your core values, if I hadn't been, I, I don't think I would have made it. Yeah. So you had core values that already were a part of you. I did. And, and those I, were like, and those were those, anchors that you're talking those about. Those anchors, exactly. And that's why you didn't actually complete the suicide. So, exactly. So, I, I would actually try to schedule my suicide. I, I know it sounds weird. I'm a planner. No, no, but knowing you, you're an engineer. I'm a planner. That. I'm yes. a planner. Yes. Uh, and, and, and I would try to schedule it because I didn't want to interrupt. I, so, one of the things I value is being a team player, a dependable uh, team player. So, if I committed suicide on this day, well, I'm supposed to be running the operations center. Who's going to take my place? And if I, you know what I mean? So I couldn't schedule it. Well, I also know that you're duty driven. Yes. And that would have been part of your duty, right? To do that. Yes. Uh, My mother's voice. I value my, my mother's, my relationship with my mother. And that was a huge, uh, I, I, you know, that had that going on in my head. So there were several things that I was tripping over and then my faith. So, um, so thankfully I had those anchors because it, I had this I, I had this notion that what if I am like within weeks or months of my breakthrough? And if I take my life now, what if I'm that close? And the reality I was that close. Cause that's when when I got home, it was about five months later that I met somebody from the Trauma Resource Institute, Jan Click, who uh um explained to me what was happening biologically from a neuroscience, which I'm a science girl. So this was, this was what I was needing to hear. She explained to me, here's what's going on um, in your autonomic nervous system. Here's why you feel those, those waves and those um, extreme uh, from, from irritability and anxiousness and, and anger and rage crashing down into numbness, depression, exhaustion. Here's why that's happening biologically. And, oh, by the way, we can fix that. So what did that give you at that time? When she's, Can you remember when she said that to you, what that did for you? 
Well, I was a little stubborn, so she was very patient. So she had explained to me. I know Jen Click. She's a very patient person. Very patient woman. Uh, She had explained to me many, many times because I was thick-headed. I'm also a stubborn woman. Um, But finally, when I'm like, hey, you know, Jen, she's telling you the science here. You need to start, you know. So when I started implementing using the tools that she taught me how to uh, reset my nervous system, how to reestablish synchronization within my nervous system. Um, all of a sudden, about a year later, I noticed uh, I was empowered. There was hope. I was empowered. And uh, I didn't have to go on this wild roller coaster, emotional roller coaster ride. I could stop it. So you had some control over it then. I had control. high and low. You said something to me. I don't know if you remember, but you said something to me once and you said, you know, I didn't even know that it was working, but I worked really hard in trying to reset my nervous system and to do the skills. I knew I had to be very um, purposeful yeah. and mindful about doing the skills. And you said to me once, you said, I woke up about six months after I started really working on the skills and I was like surprised because I didn't have the thought of killing myself. Right. So it may not, and I think it's important, it doesn't happen right away, but with yeah. the intention of working on your resiliency because these are wellness skills and they're pretty simple. They're in that iChill app and that I talked about last uh, episode. It's free that people can download on their um, smartphone that they can start learning those skills mm-hmm. to be able to do some of the things that you did that helped you initially. But there was it was more than that. And I don't want to give people the idea that this is an easy thing to do. And sometimes you need help by a therapist to, to get through it. And you had Jan Click who was leading the way. Well, what it did for me, um, so it was that serendipitous moment where I realized, oh, I'm not catastrophizing. You know, when the, when the boss calls me in the office, I'm not thinking I'm getting fired. <laughs> you know, I'm not thinking, I'm not always gravitating to the negative. So by resetting my nervous system and building that, like you talked about at the beginning, that resilient zone, um, I spent less time in those two extremes and it took more to bump me out of my resilient zone. And so, and it also created the space to change the narrative in my brain Ah. because that's what was key. I couldn't change the narrative, all that bad stuff, all that negative thinking. I, I may have understood before that, okay, sure. I'm, I can't possibly be unlovable. Why would I be the only person on the earth that's not lovable? But I couldn't change it. And the reason why I couldn't change it is because my, the biology needed to be addressed. And this is such an important part, and I want to highlight what you're saying, because one of the things I've learned as I've traveled around the world is that when we are bouncing between that high and low zone, and we're not landing in that resilient zone or that zone of well-being very often, then we, don't, we not only don't have self-compassion, but it's hard to be as compassionate about the world around us. And so that, that self-compassion piece is so important. Isn't it amazing that as we access this resilient zone through paying attention to sensations in our physiology, it actually gives our space of our prefrontal cortex to say, Jen, you're not that bad. I think you're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be ashamed by that. It's like we start talking to ourselves in a different way. And that's a very important thing because that narrative of, of shame and that nothing is ever going to change is such a, a terrible, terrible bedfellow when you're feeling depressed yeah. and having suicidal thoughts. So Absolutely. I think that's the, there, there's hope there from right. what you're telling me about learning about that biology. Well, in order to, in, in, in order to change the narrative in your head, um, in order to save, 
I mean, it's like saving stuff to your disk on, on your hard drive in order to, you know, to save it up here, you have to, you have to understand the, the physiology that has to be, you know, so if I'm constantly in fight or flight, my brain's not in the right configuration to be able to save that new information. And that's why it was never successful before. So, you know, I have another question for you that we actually didn't talk about, but I think it might be important because there may be people sitting there going, gosh, I'm worried about my, you know, my partner. I'm worried about my kid. I'm worried about somebody that I love. Would there have been anything that anyone could have said to you that might have been helpful? You know, we've given out the, the hotline number, but now that you know about the science, is there anything that they could have said to you now that you, if you could, if, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, that may have helped you kind of jumpstart your, your journey? Well, I, I think that understanding understanding that dysreg, dysregulation within my nervous system, that that's, and that that's what was the fight or flight, the fact that I was going into fight or flight often and that I could stop the, the hijacking of my nervous system, that I could stop that getting on that roller coaster ride. I mean, that was, that was the breakthrough. Now, you and I both know there was more therapy, tra- specific trauma therapy that I had to go through, but none of that would have been useful until we addressed the, 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 the nervous system. That's, that was key. So it sounds like there was two things, is that the self-regulation of your nervous system was a practice that you did on your own, that you didn't have to be in the therapist's office to do exactly. that. Exactly. But then you also then had the space inside of yourself to be more um, open, have more spaciousness to do, to do the work with your therapist, yes. To, yes. to really deal with the sexual trauma that happened to you yes. were, when you were a child and some of the challenges that you had in Iraq. So, exactly. yes. So those two things are, can be very important. But it, and it's very empowering. I mean, it, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, in the military. I'm a type A personality. Um, I'm a pilot, engineer, very much we're control freaks. So not having the ability to control, to, to just get on this crazy emotional and, and we know there's physiological reactions, right? I mean, there's the heart rate and the, the tension in your muscles. So there's all of that happening and how do you stop it? And now I know learning how to stop that and learning how to, um, and I didn't have to know what was triggering me. That was the other key thing. Right. I didn't have to know mm-hmm. that it was that guy wearing a red shirt that triggered me. All I had to do was, um, was just use the skills. Well, and I think what's important too, there's a part of our brain called the amygdala. It's kind of mm-hmm. like our threat detector. It, um, it looks, it's, uh, it's, it's online right now. And so if we had something happen to us, and maybe before the age of two when we were little, we may not have what we call explicit, explicit factual memory about it. But our amygdala, which is kind of like body memory remembers, right? So it sounds an alarm going, oh, Jen, red shirt, run. And it could have been the red shirt of the person that abused you when you were a kid, but you wouldn't have the connection. Exactly. I think that's so important for people to know. You don't have to know the why to heal yeah. because sometimes we don't know the why. And when we've had a lot of trauma, it's almost as if the, the, the uh, physiological responses, the hormones sear the, the memory of it out of our system. So we may not remember the narrative, but our body remembers in terms of the, the sensory pieces that can remind us um, of what happened to us. And I think that 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 was another thing that I had to let go of because, you know, when I was younger, I had to, I wanted to know every detail of what happened to me. Well, 
you have to let it go. Because what's more important? You remembering every detail, which probably wouldn't be very good for you anyway, but or get your healing. Well, and I think the, the part of it is as human beings, we want, we want to know our story. Yeah. We want to know what's happened to us. I don't think that's an, um, an irregular thought, but I think right. if we get stuck in that thought. And that's where I was right, getting. Yeah. Then it can be problematic for us in terms yeah. of moving forward. So it's, um, you know, it's so important as you bring this forward, because I know that these life challenges that you've had has also illuminated your life's purpose. And we're going to talk more about that in, in a break. We have a break in about three minutes or so. But I'm just wondering, as we get ready to go on our break, if there's anything that you want to say um, about how this has illuminated your life purpose, this experience. So I am writing a book right now um, called The Science of Active Resilience. Actually, it's a company that I started, and, uh, and I'm writing a book. Basically, I've – so as you t- – uh, you know, and when you introduced me, you said that you know I'm a, I have been trained by the Air Force, the Army, um, in their master resilience training programs. Um, so I'm basically have developed my own holistic resilience program, and um, so yeah, coming learning that ner- the the biology of stress and trauma, and then learning all of these other uh, skills that I have with you know how to um, refine your thinking. Be, you know, think more accurately and um, interpersonal skills, uh, all of that, I've culminated that into this, uh, this book that I'm writing. This program. I, also, I also have to give a plug, of course, that you also are a community resiliency model teacher. You're certified, yes. and that's through the Trauma Resource Institute. And yeah. so has that been helpful for you too? <laughs> oh, yes. In fact, um, I've taught that um, uh, had the opportunity to teach with you. Um, I will also integrate um, elements of the Korean program into whenever I'm teaching my Air Force and Army programs. I always um, incorporate the um, the Korean into it because because we need to address the biology of stress. Yes, we need to understand that the the autonomic nervous system, and so um, because that gives the complete picture. And I don't want to leave my soldiers and my airmen kind of hanging on, on just, I mean, the cognitive skills work and are important, but you got to have the underpinning physiology working as well. Well, I'm so glad that you've integrated that into your other uh, resiliency trainings, because I know that you're a very powerful trainer, because I've trained along with you at times. So um, it's almost time for us to take a short break um, when we return Jen is going to tell us more about her work. And I, you did your master's degree, I believe. You did a lot about neuroscience in that. Is that, is that, am I, did my, I get that correctly? You did so it was in, it was a, it was in military arts and science, but, but my research paper at the end was on the neuroscience, on the biology know, cause, trauma. Because I read it and it was yeah. excellent. So I imagine that's going to be integrated into your book. It is. Yes. yes. And so I just want to remind everyone that you are, listening to Resiliency Within on Voice of America Health and Wellness chapter channel. And I am Elaine Miller-Karish, your host. And I am so fortunate to have Jen Householder. As you can see, she has much to share with us. So we will hear more about SOAR. And what does SOAR stand for again, S-O-A-R? Science of Active Resilience. The Science of Active Resilience. I just love it. And I love that it's SOAR because I, I yeah. think you're soaring and we I don't want to just fly, we want to soar. We want to soar. And yeah. that's the post-traumatic 
positive growth that you've experienced. So, all right, we will be going to our break right now. We will see you back in about two minutes. Thank you, Jen. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Elaine miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, the Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine Miller-Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine Miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back from the break. This is Elaine Miller Karras, your host. I am hosting Resiliency Within, and this is Jen Householder, who's my guest today, who will continue to talk about what has happened since she had this traumatic uh, event and the post-traumatic growth that's grown out of it. So, Jen, could you tell us a little bit more about SOAR and what you're going to be doing with this, this new organization that you're starting? So, it's, it's a resilience program, and it's designed to be holistic, And what I mean by that is we're engaging the uh, spiritual, physical, 
mental, emotional, and social aspects of your resilience. And that's a key uh, piece to the program that um, you can't be uh, comprehend. You can't be fully resilient if you're not engaging all of those aspects of your of yourself. Um, and that's because we truly are an integrated system of systems. And I kind of looked at resilience through the lens as an engineer. So as you, <laughs> I want to hear more about that because I know that yeah. you're very organized in this very scientific way. But give us that that perspective because yeah. there are many people that are not what I call psychologically oriented, but they're scientifically oriented. So help us understand that because there's many listeners that may, you know, really be attracted to that kind of um, those ideas in terms of interventions for themselves. Absolutely. So. You know, as a test engineer, um, I worked on airplanes, their avionics. So like the radar system, the navigation system, uh, the weapon system, Um, all of these different systems uh, are integrated these days. So the, we've, we've become more sophisticated in our, in our aircraft today because um, technology advancement. So uh, so you make a change to one system, it either directly or indirectly affects the other systems. And so we know when we test things, we can't just, just because we put a new radar into the aircraft doesn't mean that's the only system you need to, to check. You need to check how it impacts the others, whether directly or indirectly. All that to say that that's how we are. That's how our bodies are. We are truly a, an integrated system of systems. So for example, have you ever, uh, you know, had a terrible night's rest where you didn't really sleep at all? And in that morning, you're just angsty and irritable and you're having trouble th- thinking, right? I mean, it happens. If you don't get good sleep, it, it does. Well, I think, I mean, I'm just going to tell you, I had a couple nights like that. I mean, I know these skills and I did use the skills, but I think that I've heard from many people that since the, you know, the pandemic, the insurgency of January 6th, that many people are are despairing. They're having sleepless yeah. nights. Their their system is jacked up, or it's kind of disconnected. Feeling in fact, yeah. people tell me they feel numb, like exactly. I can't take anymore. So that's those are the kinds of things you're talking about. Well, yeah, and so it, so right there, your physical, like you're not getting enough sleep. Look how it's impacting you mentally and emotionally, which we know can also impact you socially. So that's one example. Uh, another example is. Um, if you're not exercising or giving yourself the nutrition that you need, uh, you're not giving your brain the family of proteins that it needs to rewire or to, you know, to build skills and to refine that memory, that memory recall. So if you want to be mentally sharp, you have to understand how physical activity and nutrition help that. So I think this is important because I think many times people say, well, you have to exercise 30 minutes a day, but they don't say that there's why that is. They say, oh, well, you exactly. lose weight or whatever that might be. But there actually is a physiological side effect. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So what's interesting, one of the most profound ways to uh, produce that family of proteins, the BNDF that I was talking about, uh, for rewiring your brain. So whether you're learning a new skill or reinforcing skills, the recall of memories, uh, making yourself mentally sharp, uh, exercise, aerobic exercise, and intermittent fasting are the two uh, most profound ways to 
um, increase that family of proteins. So there's a there's a that's just one example, and I go through that through the, throughout the whole book where I show how nutrition will help you emotion your emotions, your mental your mental uh, capacity, and your uh, thinking. Uh, your your mental acuity, right? So I talk about how all of those, how, how the how the emotion helps the 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 mental, the physical, all of those are integrated. How they integrate and how engagement in all of those aspects aspects not only strengthen those individual components, but it strengthens your overall resilience. And that's that's important to understand. It's you can't. It's kind of like it's not enough to go. Well, I I work out in the gym. Okay, but are you also, what else are you doing on a physical, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not just, right. and, it's not just and, one yeah. aspect of it. You know, and as you're talking about this, too, I think the same thing is true if you say, oh, well, just tell me about your emotions. Well, how are you feeling, Jen? And so you might be able to tell me how, how you feel. And maybe even if you do that, you might have insight that, yeah. for example, I was a little girl. That thing that happened to me when I was little was not my fault. But that doesn't necessarily change the physiology of seeing the red shirt and having a fear response because that amygdala starts firing the alarm. And so I think that's really important when we talk about these different elements that are part of your, your, uh, the levels of resilience, that they all are interconnected. You know, like I love your, your phrase of a system within systems. I mean, it is interconnected. Mm-hmm. You know, so sometimes people say, oh, it's your mental health. Well, you know, we do have a neck. The, the, you know, the, yeah. Our head, our mentality is connected to our body yeah. and an integrated system. And that's so important for all of you to know that sometimes a way to start healing has to do with learning about how to help your body Absolutely. Um, come into, uh, you know, more, better calibration or more regulation. Absolutely. And so, so the book un- unpacks how, how we are an integrated system of systems, um, presents uh, skills and information on how to engage um, to, to refine and build resilience within those five aspects of yourself. And also when you need to seek help. You know, because that's important to realize that sometimes you do everything you can. It's kind of like first aid. I do what I can, but if if the cut's too deep, a band-aid's not going to do, I might, okay, now I, need, now I know when I need to go, go to the hospital and get stitches. So, so Jen, do you think that has anything to do with having that, that, that self-compassion that I'm worth going to see someone for help? I, I, think, I think it is. Um, you know, it, it, but it's also self-awareness. Yeah, because I think a lot of times we we're so kind of stuck up here in our heads. We don't we don't see ourselves as a as that system of systems. We don't kind of oh wait a minute, this isn't a mind over matter thing. Um, and I think that's really or important. I need help. Yeah. Sometimes I've seen where someone can be. I mean, honestly, you are a very accomplished woman. And you were a very accomplished woman in 2009, but all the accomplishments in the world don't necessarily change that negativistic thinking that brought you to that place of despair. Mm -hmm. So people say, well, you should know better, you know, those kinds of shame-based kinds of questions. And you might have been saying that to yourself. Oh, yeah. Not figuring out, like, what is the key? What can I do? What are the elements? That's one key, but many keys in order to help you come back to a state of well-being so that you can do the things that you're doing now that I know that you're very committed and passionate about. Well, and, and that's the other thing we talk about in the book is 
there are the things you can control and the things you can't control. I think often we try to control things that we don't have control over and that we don't work the things we actually do have control over. So really, it takes a bit of humility to kind of realize, oh, I'm trying to do something or control something that's really outside of it, but I can't. I can address this. I can control this over here. Um, well, that brings me to one of the questions. Um, you talk about a challenge mindset versus a threat mindset. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And is that connected to what you're talking about right now? Absolutely. Like be, yeah. Absolutely. So as, as you know, with the, the, uh, the CRIM, the community resiliency model, we talk about with, your, with the resilient zone, we talk about the high zone and the, the low zone and the, the resilient zone. Well, to lesser degrees, so trauma is the extreme side of stress, right? So to lesser degrees, we're, we're dealing with stress. Not all stress is bad. Um, so what I've done is I mapped the stress on, on a spectrum here. And so when it comes to threat and challenge, so obviously in, that, in the fight or flight moments where it's an automatic response, you're not, you're, not caught, you're not consciously calling the shots, right? Your body's just, your brain, your survival brain's deciding, hey, we're going to go do this. We're going to well, fight. Also, I think it's be really important to bring in the freeze response too because that's and the freeze response. survival response. So. Absolutely. That's exactly. So, but you're not choosing which response. You're just, your, your brain is deciding this is the most advantageous route. But, because we're designed for survival, because we're designed for survival. Yes. Exactly. But to lesser degrees, okay, so let's say I'm about to take a, <clears throat> a physical fitness test. So I have a, a uh, if I am in threat mode, um, I might be very anxious and nervous and, and have a, a, I might be thinking a lot of negative things about that test, like that are not going to be very helpful to me being um, successful in that test. Because negative thinking, uh, it does impact your um, creativity and your ability to problem solve. And the reason why is negative thinking uh, creates negative emotion associated with the fight or flight response, fight, flight, freeze response, uh, narrowing your brain, and it limits your brain integration and what uh, neurotransmitters you have access to. What's a neurotransmitter? Some of our, our, our listeners may not have any idea what so a neurotransmitter it's, is. It's chemistry. It's a chemical moving through your body. So like we know when, when we are poised for action, uh, you know, when we, when we get, uh, you know, like, oh, I need to go do something, I get a rush of adrenaline. So, you know, we've got chemistry, chemical, chemicals moving through our body to create a response. So they send a message. They send to a do message. something. Okay, great. exactly. So, but a challenge mindset, I will have access to other neurotransmitters that will actually help me with pain management, problem solving, um, focus. So there's like four other neurotransmitters. Don't ask me to to rattle them off. They're okay, in my you book. You don't have to. <laughs> but there's four other ones that that help you think, uh, think, um, and. And, re- and react, they, they really focus your, really improve your performance. It's so you're like not going to. Executive functioning is more available to you. Let's put it like this. You're, you're, you, have, you're, you have the brain integration and the neurotransmitters that are going to help you perform at your best when you are in a challenge mindset. Because if you're in threat, it's more associated with the fight or flight. 
Does that so, kind of make sense? So yes, no, it does make sense. And I think this is important because some people say, well, I don't know if I'm going to learn skills and I'm not going to be able to react when I need to react. So it's that difference between reacting that is um, that happens without thinking versus the kind of action that happens with with attention and a mindful awareness that you need to take an action, which is, which is what you talk about in terms of challenge. So one of the things that you've been met, we've been talking about the pandemic. When the pandemic yes. started about a year ago, um, I'm not going to lie, it, there was fear. I was, I was struggling with, with uh, a lot of fear with it. I don't think you're answer. alone, Jen. I don't think no. you're alone. There's many listeners that are saying the same thing. Thank you for being yeah. honest about it. Yeah. And so I had to make a deliberate, uh, I had to be intentional about this where I said, okay, yeah, it, what else is true? It's something you say all the time. What I else do. is true? I Sorry do. to I steal do. your thunder, but. I know. It's, I've been, it's, I'm, I'm sure I got it from somebody else, you know. It's your I stand on the shoulders of many people who've come before. So, but, but I needed to be intentional because here's the thing with fear. Fear is one of the most toxic things. It's only good for when you're actually in a no kidding fighter, like you're a threat situation, like you're being chased by a bear, that kind of thing. It's only advantageous then because you're reacting, but it is not advantageous for it to stick around uh, long term because um, it's, it, uh, it narrows in. It causes you to stay in that fight or flight place where you don't see um, – a bigger picture? The bigger picture. And, yeah. you're, and it, you can't be in your resilient zone when you're afraid all the time. Right. And I think that's the hard thing about trauma is that when you have trauma that you not, may not even remember when you're talking about the trauma mm-hmm. that you had, that can be happening all the time. So mm-hmm. just walking out your doors like there's landmines, but you don't know why you're experiencing the landmine. And right. so when you become more attuned and mindful to the sensory system, then when you said, I can intercept the hijacking of my of my nervous system, oh, okay. So yes, I'm, exp- I, I'm experiencing fear, but there's nothing to be afraid of right now. So yeah. what can I do instead? Oh, I can, I can just look around the room and I can name the colors or I can notice how I'm sitting in the chair or I can um, think about the things that give me joy or that calm me. And all of a sudden you're intercepting something and then you're yeah. noticing the change because you do have to notice the change. Yes. And I think that's the thing that you and I both have learned. You keep talking about the biology of it. You didn't know it when you were feeling that no. despair, but when you learned that biology, things started to shift. That's what yeah. I've heard and, from you. Absolutely. And, and I do want to make this point clear. This isn't about being Pollyanna where, you know, oh, this is great. We're in a, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that. Look, it was. Oh, Jen, awful. I can't imagine Pollyanna in a Black Hawk helicopter. I know. No. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to image that. You yeah. Know? But, <laughs> but, but, no. just to, to, but just to, but just to say this, that um, there's nothing. I mean, this pandemic has been, has been very hard and it has been painful and it's had lots of layers and it's to what not everybody. Going away, Jen. Right. It's still, it still is here with us. So. So, but here's the thing. There's nothing good that's going to come out of me being afraid all the time because of this pandemic. You see what I'm saying? So I had to make a decision that what else is true? Hey, I'm, you know, I've got this wonderful yellow Labrador retriever. Um, I've got my family. I've got jobs. I, I mean, I know other people this year has been difficult with family and difficult with jobs. But looking for those things that you can leverage that 
that you can and latch on to. And sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're small. It doesn't have to be a big thing. No. It could be a very small thing. Yeah. I had someone tell me recently that she was using the skill of grounding, which is just simply paying attention to your body mm-hmm. in present moment awareness. And she said, I didn't notice. I, I didn't. They were little minor movements. But when I started paying attention to those little minor movements, I found that I would take a deeper breath. And that it was almost like this. these little micro movements were integrated into my day by this mindful attention. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I had to go to a room and meditate, although that can be very helpful. I could do it while I just walked across the room and went into the living room. Or I could do it when I walked around my home. And, or when I went into the grocery store, that was scary, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the pandemic, yet I had to do it. But how do I stay in my best self? And it's about paying attention, like you're saying, to those moments. Because yeah. otherwise, we can just be living in fear all the time. Absolutely. And, and I like how you say in the moments, because I think that's the other really key thing about being about resilience is that the fight isn't in big things. It's in the everyday, seemingly insignificant moments where you have, you have to make a, you have to be intentional about, okay, yeah, that person just cut me off on the highway. I want to stay and ruminate and be angry about it, but instead, I take a deep breath. I'm going to feel the steering wheel. <laughs> yes. And I'm going to reset myself. It's a very small little intervention. Yeah. You know, I want to get back to something, though. Um, see, boy, this time is going by quickly. I know. <laughs> I'm just enjoying talking to you so much. But I want to get back to um, how did you ultimately change that narrative in your mind from the suicidal thoughts to embracing the what else is true? Okay. But the key thing was getting, restoring synchronization between the sympathetic, the accelerator in my nervous system and the break, the parasympathetic part of my nervous system, getting those two um, synchronized again and regulated uh, was foundational because then I had a resilient zone and I was in the uh, place where I could, where I could benefit from talk therapy, I could benefit from EMDR or any kind of, uh, or trim, the, the different types of cutting edge trauma therapies that yeah, work. So I just, just want to say for just a second, EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing. It's a very well studied evidence-based uh, trauma therapy. The trauma resiliency model was, um, uh, I'm one of the key developers, and it also has a uh, a growing evidence base regarding its effectiveness. Actually, the Department of, I think it was Defense, named it as a promising practice way back in 2011. So those are two of the, um, the, the modalities that work very well. Because I just want to stress with people, you need to find, a, also it can be very helpful to work with a therapist who does understand the biology of trauma. Absolutely. Not only the cognitive aspects, which of course are very important, but there is a biology of the human nervous system that's very important to know about. Yes. Well, and TRIM was the, the best, uh, the one that worked the best for me therapy-wise for my trauma. Okay. So. And so um, I want to ask you also, this is one of your questions actually that you said, I want to okay. talk about this. What is positive thinking and cultivating positive emotion critical to building and maintaining resilience? So that's the part about counteracting that negative bias. So we're, you know, somebody can give you five compliments and one person gives you one negative compliment. At the end of the day, what do you remember? Typically, we just ruminate on that negative comment. So 
the important thing we, we need to latch onto those those positive things. And in in CRIM, we use it's resourcing. Yes, we uh, it's essentially resourcing, and we we leverage those good or at least positive or neutral things that um, can. Uh, get us out of that negative bias, that negative downward spiral, which is more associated with fight or flight, which again, um, as we told, as we mentioned, that narrows your field of view and doesn't allow you to have all of the creative thinking and the problem solving, the prefrontal cortex. It's not fully online when we're in that fight or flight freeze. Uh, so Jen, and thank you for that. And as we're getting close to ending today, as is there any one thing that, you know, after our discussion and the things that you know are important about what helped save you that you would want to articulate to say to people that may be suffering out there? Um, to, to hang in there, to keep, uh, to keep looking for that breakthrough, to keep um, hoping. And, um, you know, a lot of times it's the waiting that's the hardest where we don't have the answer. We don't know. Uh, we don't, we're waiting for a breakthrough and it, maybe it's a medical thing. Um, but as we talked about, the physiology is foundational to resilience, but at the very core of our resilience, that grit, that's your spiritual resilience. That's the stuff that gives you a sense of purpose and your core values. Strengthen that. Because you may what, not have, oh, go ahead. And those were your anchors, you said. Earlier those were those anchors you. because when you don't have the answer to whatever you're struggling through, you know, those are the things that are going to anchor you until you get to your breakthrough. So I really want you all to hear that, you know, is that you may need to think about, even if the anchor is a very little thing, it yeah. could be something very small. Um, because I think what I heard you say today, Jen, that's so important, is that the answers will come. But yeah. you also need to have the right kind of assistance and help in order to get the answers that may help you. So, Jen, you, I know, you know, I wanted to have Jen on the show in the beginning of my, of my, my series because I thought her message was so important to what people are experiencing right now. So, can you let people know that you do have a website, but it's under construction? Can you tell them what it is? Yes. So, it is... Um, uh, www. Yeah, I'll let you go ahead and say that. Sorethrive.com. <laughs> Sorethrive.com. Yeah. And I don't have it listed on the uh, the Voice of America page, but I will add that to you because yes. we didn't have it before. And also, you are letting people also email you if you want. Right. And tell them the email. So it's Jen, J-E-N dot Sorethrive, all together, at gmail.com. So, Jen, thanks again for coming and I know we also wanted to reiterate the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, available 24 hours, 800-273-8255. You can also learn more about the Trauma Resiliency Model and the Community Resiliency Model at traumaresourceinstitute.com. And I just want to say a little quote from Martin Luther King, because this is his day as well. As my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways in which I could respond to my situation, either to react with bitterness or seek to transform the suffering into a creative force. I decided to follow the latter course. So again, thank you very much. And thank you listeners for being with us. And please join me next week where we will talk to one of the trauma-informed experts on the planet, Jane Ellen Stevens from ACEs Connection. And remember... What else is true about your life as you go through your week? Thank you so much, Jen. 
Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. 